With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Resiliency and Running podcast. My name is Liz, and I will be your host. Today, I am so excited to have you here as we've got an exciting talk today where I'll be sitting down with my friend Emma Rady. We're discussing victim mentality and victim blaming around sexual assault. But before we get into that, I just want to remind listeners that I'll be doing my first webinar and live event with the Be Fun, Be Kind podcast this Thursday at 8 p.m. Central Time. The topic is meeting my challenges head on and how you can too. So make sure to head to the link in the bio of the podcast Instagram to learn more information and make sure you RSVP. All right, so I'm so excited to have Emma back on the show. If you remembered from a few episodes back, Emma shared her beautiful adoption story and all about adoption styles. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, make sure to go and check it out. But today, I'm so excited to have her back because we just really clicked on that episode. And I feel like ever since we just really got to talking about more of our shared experiences, and we really realized that we could create another episode kind of in light of our message from last time around being transparent and sharing difficult things in life. So welcome back, Emma. Liz, thank you so much for having me back on. I think that the feedback we got from people listening to our last episode was that, you know, we did click and it went really smoothly and really well. And so in light of what we had talked about before, we got to talking about all these other topics that potentially we could bring to the table. So I'm excited to be back and to be able to talk about those things again. Yeah. And so if you've already, I mean, if you're listening to this episode now, you'll see from the title that this is essentially kind of like a part two to what was my running from trauma episode. And so we're really going to be talking about sexual assault and, you know, another really tough topic that a lot of people have a lot of hard time kind of talking about. And I think our focus today really wants to be around the really taboo feelings that a lot of, you know, people that have experienced sexual assault and are survivors of sexual assault, the feelings that people don't really like to talk about because they're kind of weird and you're not sure if people share the same feelings. But I, you know, just in those conversations, you know, between me and you, Emma, we really, you were saying things and I was like, oh my gosh, I felt that exact same way right after it happened. And it was stuff that I think, you know, we aren't really like told that, you know, it's open, it's okay to be open about and it's okay to share about. Right. And, you know, I just think that, you know, as you say that it is sad to me, but also I understand that talking about these things are so hard when it comes to sexual assault and more adverse sexual experiences that us women face because also there are so many women that have experienced these things and the fact that we find that we have to be silent about it or quiet about it or think about the fact that what did I do to instigate this experience 
thing happening, blaming ourselves. It isn't talked about because all those things are happening, you know, after those experiences do happen. And so just remembering that this happens to so many women and that it does, it does need to be talked about but I know that it's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just like, you know, things like the me too movement. And I feel like people that I've seen even on social media that have never said a word about it, but you know, when that day comes, you see how many women are sharing the me too hashtag. It's just crazy because, you know, for them, that's the most that they can do right now. And I understand that like, not everyone is at a place like I was at or like, like I am now that I can kind of just openly talk about my, my sexual assault experience. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of that stems from the fact that I went through a full on year being in a title nine case. And I had to tell that story over and over to strangers. And I was forced to, even when it was still uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I think I was forced into that discomfort, which is why I'm now totally okay with it. But I understand that so many people have a hard time using or even wanting to use their voice because they're not sure if they even can, they're not sure how much they can. And I think it's just going to be so great to have you on today, Emma, because I feel like you're really showing how, you know, that's the genuine reality of it is that it's such a slow process and it is a grieving process that takes time. And I think it's just going to be awesome because I feel like a lot of people are going to be able to relate to you. You know, as you bring up the Me Too movement, I remember when that first was really coming to the spotlight and seeing on social media platforms, you know, people posting and, you know, hashtagging me too. I remember sitting there looking at all these accounts and thinking, this is so great that people can speak about this. And then I started thinking about my own experiences. One specific experience comes to mind, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't post, I couldn't hashtag, you know, me too. And it was hard because I I think that people find there's a part of themselves when they've gone through these experiences of, I want people to know so badly that I went through this because you're carrying it by yourself or you're telling at least a select few people, but even those few people can't understand what you went through. But there's another part of you that is, you know, saying it. I don't know if I can speak up about this. I have to be quiet about this. So there's like two sides of this of, I want to tell my story. I want to talk about it, but then I can't. And, you know, you have to wonder what is that piece about? I can't. For women, because I think, you know, there are the majority of women, to be honest, when they get to that crossroad of either I'm going to speak up about it or I'm not, they shut it down. And it's what I did, honestly. So comparing our stories, you know, I think is important for people to hear because on your side, you know, you went through a legal process of, and I know that you won that that process, which is amazing, which also sadly, I think is so rare. It took a lot of bravery and a lot of guts. And when you tell, when you say that you had to tell your story again and again, it was almost like you were forced to. I also hate that you felt like you were forced to in order to get the outcome that you did. It's, It's also not right. It's like, why do I have to share all these intimate details about these very traumatic experiences in order to be heard and for it to be recognized for what it was. 
Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of those fears that you were talking about around, you know, what would people think and can Mm -hmm. I even speak up about it and feeling like you have to carry it yourself. Mm -hmm. I feel like once my case was public and once it was like a real thing and this guy got notified that he was, you know, that I was making this case against him, it was suddenly like, it almost felt like it was also just forced that like everyone started to find out about it. And because he was like in a frat, like all of those people found out within the frat and word just got around. And I definitely got like positive and negative feedback because you're always going to have those people that don't believe you. And there's so much in the media about like the victim mentality and like how people like really victimize women of sexual assault. And I always, it just never has made sense to me because it's like, why is a woman, why do you think a woman would want to be so open about such a traumatic experience and such a traumatic topic? And why would you want to think that, you know, automatically that she's lying and you automatically take the side of the guy. And I know that there are people that do lie about it, but I feel like the majority of the time, it's a lot of guts that a woman woman takes to be able to speak up and like even just saying that they were assaulted and imagine just like you know getting all that courage to just say that and then have like the first person say I don't believe you it's so tragic yeah because you like you're saying I cannot imagine the guts and the bravery that it took for you to do that especially you know UW is so big but our Greek system was also also big but small and mm-hmm. a small community community. So when something like that, you know, comes up, people know about it. And I think for me, it was very much so I don't think I can take the spotlight. And I don't think I could take the negativity Mm. that might come afterwards. Because with my experience, it, it was, you know, with an athlete at the University of Washington. And to be honest, athletes walk around like gods on that campus. Yeah. And I just remember, you know, I guess I'll I'll give a little bit of detail of this one circumstance that I was referring to before, but, you know, I was told before going to this small house gathering or whatever that I needed to be really drunk before I went. Mm. And I was a freshman in college and being told this by, you know, an upperclassman who was my friend and I really, you know, really liked her, respected her. And, you know, I mean, we're not really close anymore. But when I think about also that relationship I had, I'm kind of like, I I don't know how to feel about it. But I was told I needed to be really drunk. That was clue number one that this is not a good situation going in. Then, uh, you know when we got there, we actually were the only girls there. So suddenly it felt a little bit strange. And to be honest, I felt like I was being looked at as almost like prey. And I was intoxicated at that point. And that's the thing too, that I think we want to talk about is that when you mix in alcohol and then wanting to be physical with someone, you have to be so careful because it's so blurry. But, you know, at that point, I just say to guys, which is hard because it's the college culture everybody's drinking and then how do you know when you're not supposed to you know cross that line or when it's okay I just really think now especially with the experiences that I've had that all included alcohol the line should not be crossed 
if you're intoxicated. Yeah. I just really shouldn't. Yeah. And I feel like there's like, there's definitely a part of that too, of just like wanting to be intoxicated so that you are socially liked, especially when you're uh, entering a new situation, especially a house of just guys. And you're like one of the only girls, Mm -hmm. of course, all eyes are on you. And of course you want to be, you know, you're so worried about your appearance and do I look okay? Am I okay? Like, am I funny? Like, it's about, you know, it's, there's a peer pressure to it. I think in a college setting as well and outside of college that, you know, you want to be cool. You want to have a drink in your hand, Mm -hmm. but then, you know, when you're younger too, it's like, I don't necessarily know my limit. So you just keep drinking and you're having fun and you're, you know, you've got these guys attention on you and it's fun until it's not, you know? And so that's where alcohol starts to blur the lines because you know, it doesn't matter that, you know, and I've, I've run through this in my mind before a lot, you know, that after the experience, it's like, well, I did flirt with this guy. And when he put his arm around my waist, I didn't like object to that. Mm. So, you know, it's this like flirtatious behavior that we begin to think I invited this person in to uh, maybe he was in his full rights to do what he did, Mm. but it's just not, it's not the case, you know? And it's, that's hard because still sometimes, you know, it's hard for me to admit what happened. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I was wearing this. I was drinking. I was flirtatious back. It's my fault that this happened. But to be honest, also, I'm going to just, this is, this is a little bit more in detail. If you're laying there and all you can think about is don't throw up and I really don't want to be here, but you feel like you can't, like at that point, it's too late to object. There's something wrong in that mentality as well. It's just, it's so not right. And through body language, I mean, I think that people need to understand like when a girl or a guy is not into this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's, I mean, like you're saying, like there's so much about, well, you know, you shouldn't blame a girl because of what she wears. And if she's intoxicated and blah, 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 and you shouldn't. I know there's a lot of people that will argue that and say, well, it's their fault that they were wearing a short skirt and that they took X amount of shots. And no, it's still not their fault. Like they never got, went to that party, you know, wanting and planning for what happened to happen. And I think there's, you're right. There's a lot to be said about not only should people and especially men be learning about, you know, consent means no, but also read a girl's body language, read their body language. And like, do they seem like they're really into you and like, they're, you know, wanting to go home with you or do they kind of look like they're so intoxicated that they might throw up or that they're blacked out or they don't even know what's going on. Yeah. It's just, it's not, it's not right. And it's, it's, it's hard too. And it's hard to like, it's hard to have conversations around that. I think because there are so many people that will argue against you, especially men that have these big egos and are in positions of power and such. And, you know, 
especially having this most recent election with who we had in the office for the past four years. It's just like, I think that when men are in power and men are in, you know, are athletes or are in frats and they think that they're, you know, these big guys that they kind of can say how it goes, but that's not true. It's such a strong, I think, groupthink mentality that especially in college, if you're in a fraternity or if you're an athlete or I don't know, you just think that you're so powerful in those, it's four years, really. Then it's like, what are you doing after your four years? And how do you feel that? Right. Yeah. I mean, but in groups of guys, you know, we have seen that the mentality is how many girls can you have sex with? Mm-hmm. And it's a joke almost to to sleep with these girls that are intoxicated and that can't, you know, verbally, verbally say, yes, I, I consent to this. I mean, it's not like you're actually saying that, but I mean, again, it comes down to body language. It's like guys need to be more respectful and just realize that taking advantage of girls in those states is pretty sick actually. Yeah. Yeah. And so after that incident happened for you, did that kind of change your experiences around your feelings towards men and just like any intimate experiences with men? Because like, I know for me, I went through a period of at least a year where like, I was just really frustrated and confused with myself because I, you know, I was trying to just kind of like internally shove it down, even though I was going through this case, but I was also kind of trying to like feed myself back to normal and say like you're fine it's fine you know that happened and we're okay we're okay and it's like I would have all these experiences where it's just like internally I was actually so furious at men and for like no reason like I I remember like this one chemistry TA I had I don't know why I was just so angry and I think like had it been a female I wouldn't be angry well your anger makes sense though you know when you and you know I know we're gonna talk about how trauma can arise you know psychologically a little bit later but when you think about your experience you know your anger could be displaced onto your chemistry TA who his actions he didn't do anything to you physically but I mean you begin to group together a population of people and you're angry and it just it really does make sense but my immediate feelings afterwards this happened and I had to get to a sorority event the next day really early and so I went right back into my life and my routine and thought about the incident and was like that wasn't right but I guess I went I guess I wanted it so I kind of also began to shut it down and find a way to conceptualize it in my mind that there there was nothing I could have done to have stopped it and that actually it was okay that it had happened. But I'd say as well, in that next year, I almost numbed myself after that experience. 
And, you know, I know that some people who have experienced sexual assault and just experienced those adverse sexual exchanges, they almost can't be touched by another guy. Or, you know, the thought of that is sickening to them. For me, I was like, it was the opposite. I then if I could get a guy's attention, I just wanted to to numb it and and do it. But the thing is, is that by doing that, I was numbing myself so much that I couldn't feel. Mm. And I saw the repercussions of that, not quite a year later, but just through depression, you know, Mm. and then I had to go back and look at that experience and be like, uh, something happened, something, a switch, you know, flipped after that experience and changed the way that I'm going about sexual experiences with other people. And to be honest, like anytime I would have sex with someone after that experience, I would come home and I would break down and sob. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what the heck? Like, what's going on? Didn't I, I must've wanted this too. I mean, like, I, I just like, I saw it every time. So that was an indicator that something was not right. Yeah, I definitely, I kind of had like a similar experience to that too. And Mm -hmm. in a sense that like, there was a part of me at first that was saying, okay, you know, let's just try and like date again. And let's just, and I remember specifically, I went on a date with this guy and he was super, he was such a gentleman. Um, We went and saw a movie and was such a nice guy the whole time. Drove me home. And literally, I think all he was trying to do was like walk me to my apartment door and kiss me goodnight and it was almost like I went into for the kiss but as soon as like I felt his hand on the back of my back and kind of him pulling me in more it was like something like switched in me and suddenly I was like I'm not okay and I just like I remember I bolted in my apartment building and I didn't even make it to my apartment I like stopped on the stairs and just broke down and I mean, now that I look back on it, I'm like, he must have thought I was like, like he was, he just ended up being a good friend in the end. But yeah, it was just like, what a weird, like psychological, like reaction to just like snap into like, you know, I'm really enjoying this guy. I'm really enjoying the date. And now I'm just like, this is not okay. I need to leave. I need to. Right. And that's the thing. The trauma of those experiences will surface in different ways at different times. I mean, it's been years since that specific experience happened, but I mean, even moving to DC, you know, and dating other guys, sometimes I realize that like, I would just shut down Mm. and I have, I've processed this experience more in therapy throughout college. And, you know, I've, I've come to internally accept it. I haven't exactly been able to, you know, say this is what happened to me out loud to a lot of people. I also don't think you have to do that. But I just noticed that this trauma will stay with me throughout my life. And it's going to surface in different ways, whether that be, you know, in my relationship now, I become a little bit cold and shut off. It's this thing that happened to me before that can be explained by that behavior you know Mm. do you feel like you have to like have you I don't know if you've been open about it with your partner or if that's something that you've come to want to do I mean I know that for you it's like 
you know, you're still kind of processing and kind of figuring out how to be open about it. But like, interestingly enough for me, like with some of the more serious people that I've dated since it happened, that was always something that I like specifically wanted to be open with them about, not because, you know, I was afraid to have sex with them or anything, but it was just more to like, kind of let them in on that piece of me because it's such a big, you know, you're right. Like it's never going to leave you. And it's a trauma that you'll probably continue to process throughout your life yeah with deeper relationships that I've had actually I've had a hurt I've had a hard time I have a hard time talking about it with partners in general just because I wonder if they will really try their best to understand and man I mean like I know who I'm with now you know would but I still feel like I'm at a place where sure I've come to terms with it myself and the the things that I've been through on that subject, but being able to verbalize it to other people is still really hard because there's a part of me that's saying, no, it's wrong. You know, you are wrong. This, you know, isn't what it really was. Just be quiet about it. There are these voices in my head still that, you know, send me those messages. When at this point, like through close friends who do know and through my therapist in college, them naming this is what it was and this was so wrong, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that that's true, that they're right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I think... I do like an exercise where it's, I think this could be good for anyone, honestly, who's experienced something like this, but it's like, if you were sitting across the table, a coffee table or next to a best friend of yours, and she told you your story, Mm -hmm. how would you react to it? And when I think about telling my best friend, telling my story to me, I'm like, that is so wrong. That should not have happened. And so thinking about it that way for someone else, I can accept it. But for myself, I'm still, you know, working on, I guess, being able to accept it. I was was smiling the whole time because you're actually like totally explaining a part of like my of what how I kind of like processed it like Mm -hmm. during my case I kind of went through this like period towards the beginning where I was like is I was still asking myself like am I right? Should I be doing this? Is this okay? And I was like, I remember my little was over at my apartment with me and she was like, she was trying to help me out. And I think she was just struggling, but then she was like, you know, Liz, imagine if this were my story. And I was telling you that what Mm -hmm. happened to you happened to me. And I was like, Janet, I would be so mad. I would be like fuming, angry. I would want to find this guy track like I would want like all the justice for you and more and she's saying okay so why can't you look at yourself that way and I was like I don't know I you know and that's even as somebody that's like studying psychology I feel like I should have the answer for that but as as somebody who's personally been through this I mean I I can't think about it in a therapeutic lens right now. It's just my story. And I'm like, why can't I have the empathy for myself and be able to say, this is what it was. Mm. And why is that the case for so many women that we're going to be allies for the other people that this has happened to, and we're going to stand strong with them and encourage them to share their stories and to own what happened to them. But 
then it's like, holy crap, I can't do that for myself. And what is that wall there? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, I think I remember like the morning after, actually it was about a week after it took me about a week to say anything to anyone. And I remember I told like the girls that I was sharing this quad room with in my sorority. And, and I remember telling them, and I remember one of my friends saying, well, Liz, you know, you know what that is, right? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, Liz, that's, that's rape. Like that's bad. And I was like, there was a part of me that like a, a switch that flipped that was just like, is, is that what that was? And I was just kind of like, I, I don't even think I was thinking about it in that way. And it was like, all of a sudden I was like, no, there's no way. Because when you, because when you hear about that, when you hear about cases like Brock Turner and those about to say that, yeah, mm-hmm. like, so- like, it's not me. That's not yeah. what happened. Mm-hmm. And Liz, that's such an important piece of this. I think that when we women begin to compare our stories to each other's and there, here's the thing is that it's a spectrum of things. I mean, you can be raped by your husband, Mm. you know? I mean, like, and I just cannot imagine the thought process that goes into that because, oh no, you're married to this person. You're with this person. So how could that be the case? But again, it's a spectrum of these things. When we start comparing our stories to each other's, I think that's a part of the silencing piece, actually. We're almost silencing each other because Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, that shouldn't be considered as rape because you weren't, you know, in an alleyway being attacked by a stranger. Like these just extreme cases of rape that, you know, do shine forth into the media, which is also rare, sadly, too, but and that are talked about and that are, you know, buzzed around via all these different social media platforms or whatever. Then there's, you know, the people that this happens to where their experiences are not as extreme. And it's like, oh, I is that that? Because it's not as bad as this person's, but maybe it is because I had a similar experience when I eventually months later told my therapist about this experience that I had had and she named it as rape. I was like, no, it's not. I felt so (laughs) weird towards that word. And I still feel weird towards that word. I can't use that word for my own experience at this point. Hmm but someone else named it for me. And so it's in my mind. It's something I still think about, but. I almost feel like you need those people to like label it for you because I think otherwise like we probably wouldn't come to it ourselves. And there are people that will maybe never come to it because I mean, there might be some inkling that they think that it might be that, but then they just think, no, I just, I can't, I, I don't, I can't process that. And I'm, I, I choose not to. Yeah. And that's, it's really sad. And I think it's maybe just also like how people grief differently with such a traumatic experience. Like people will either like, you know, they'll be like me and you'll go and report it and you'll go and make a huge case of it and go through the legal process of it. But then there are so many women, so many that are probably even listening to this. Like that's how often it happens yeah. that it's happened to you. And you don't know if you'll ever talk about it out loud. Yeah. And to be honest, doing this with you right now is the most I've ever talked about it with another person. And I, I can say here that I am a little bit nervous for when people listen to this, because it's really not something I've been open about. And that, you know, this is me not even telling the full story of what happened, 
but I worry about the feedback, you know, from other people. And that's, it's just another factor in this whole thing of why people fear speaking up about it is because even a little bit because of that feedback that you might get. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I'm just, I'm just now thinking of like what you had ended on in our last episode, just being able to be more open and just talking about these really uncomfortable and taboo topics that no one else wants to talk about. I just feel like, you know, women that are listening to this, they're listening to this and saying, oh my gosh, thank you, Emma, for speaking out for me. And I feel like when women listen to other women's stories, like no matter how different your experiences may be, you don't need to have same experience to know that that is such a shitty feeling and that that is a feeling that you need to go through the five stages of grief for and that you really need to actually process if you're actually ever going to be able to be in a healthy relationship ever again. It's so true. You do have to process all this stuff. If not with other people, then internally, you know, doing it your own way or with a therapist's help, because I have seen that without processing what happened to me, I really had been unable to successfully have a romantic relationship with someone Mm. because I wasn't necessarily open about what had happened and it made me you know, at times really confusing because my behavior would one minute be so loving and then suddenly something would trigger me to want to pull back and pull away and become cold. And that was really confusing, you know, Mm -hmm. for whoever I was dating at the time. So processing and learning about how that experience is going to come up and then being able to communicate that, you know, as we talked about in the last podcast, communication is so important when you have relationships with people, whether that be friendships or romantic relationships with people. It's just like, it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just thinking of like my most recent episode where I'm talking about grief and the different stages of grief of like, you know, losing a loved one. But I feel like that also kind of applies here and like, you know, the stages of grief within processing your sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I just wanted to see, you know, what sort, what does that look like for you? And kind of Mm -hmm. like the timeline of like, you know, the amount of time that it's taken. Yeah. Well, with the five stages of grief, I just want to say, first of all, that a lot of times people think that grief equates to death and that the only thing that human beings really can grieve is the loss of a loved one. Mm. When that's so not true, grief, you could grieve anything. I mean, you know, we talked about last time, there can be grief in the adoption process, even though it is such a lovely and beautiful thing. And there are so many good things that come from adoption. There are so many things to grieve as well in adoption. You can grieve dreams not coming true or grieve the ending of a relationship. Someone doesn't have to die for you to grieve. And that also needs to be normalized in this world because, you know, it's normal for us to think, okay, after a loved one dies, of course that person is grieving. But, you know, if after a week after a relationship ends and people are kind of like, why isn't she over this? Come on, just be stronger. You don't need that person. Aren't you stable in who you are to know that you're going to be okay? No, it's grief. You can grieve, you know, a lost relationship. You can grieve a lost dream. So in terms of this, 
oh my gosh, there's so much grief around sexual assault. And the five stages of grief is denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And it's important to remember that through those stages, they are not linear, actually. And that, you know, it's not like you go through these things one by one, and then it's over. It's you know, as we said, these experiences that we've had are going to show up in our lives and in our relationships for the rest of our life. And so we might stumble back to being angry at some point that this happened to us, which is the second stage. You know, I think for me, it's interesting because when talking about those stages, I'd say I'm at acceptance within myself, but I'm also still in Denial. I'm still in a little bit of denial, which is the first and last stage. (laughs) So they can mix together and it's just the truth of what it is. We can go back steps. We can move forward. You know, I mean, it's just really not a linear process. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that even just like telling people can be really hard too, Mm -hmm. even if they're like your loved ones. And this is something that I talked about in my trauma episode. And like, I remember I was trying to find the time to tell my parents for the longest time, but I remember specifically in like the really early stages of my case, I was actually home for Christmas break and I still couldn't tell them. And I was living in the same household and I would just take these secret calls in my room about like, you know, with my investigator and I would just like, you know, I would just like make excuses up for why I was on these calls. And I remember it just like clicked for me one day and we were literally in like the veggie grill of university village and just finished like a quick lunch and I was like wait I don't want to leave yet I have something to tell you and I just laid it all out and we sat in the veggie grill and we just cried we all cried and I think it's it's hard because I think it's I mean, I can't imagine being a parent and having your child tell you that they've been sexually assaulted. And I hope that that's something that I'll never have to experience. And I hope that our world starts to normalize this and starts to talk about it more and make more actions towards, you know, eliminating the amount of cases of sexual assault there probably are around the world. But it's, it's, it was such a tough thing. And it's something that I remember so vividly. And yeah, I I don't know. I think that, but that was definitely a big part of my, like, like processing of it was really like sharing it with my parents and sharing that this is something that happened, but I'm working through it. And it's still something that I'm kind of like, not sure how I feel about, but I'm finally comfortable enough to say that it happened. Yeah. I mean, I never told my parents because honestly, I'm not quite sure what the reaction would be. So the fact I'm so happy that, I mean, it's not a happy thing, but that your parents could cry for you. And that would be the reaction to you telling them that this happened to you. For me, I know, you know, I just, like I've said, I haven't really been able to speak up about it a ton. I've told my sisters and, you know, they, well, I've told two of my sisters (laughs) and they're younger. And so, you know, at the time that it happened, I think it was harder to understand, but what I, the message that I wanted for them is that, you know, this happens and 
if God forbid it ever happens to you, I need you to know that like you have your subjective experience, but I'm here for you and I do understand what you're going through and how confusing it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And how have you, I mean, from this, like kind of, it seems like there's a lot of internal work that you've been doing along with like work with your therapist, but I guess, and for people listening, how can people find strength in such a traumatic experience? How can you find the light at the end of the tunnel when the tunnel seems like it's never ending and that this is grief that you're, you can't understand that you're still slowly trying to understand. I was going to say like at the beginning, when you finally get an inkling of what happened to you, the tunnel is quite dark. (laughs) And I think you agree because it's like, shoot, well, this happened to me. Like now I have to deal with the repercussions and I honestly don't want to. But the way I think that you do find strength in that experience is, is being able to, for yourself, accept what happened, which sometimes I still struggle with. Again, you know, the finding strength in it is probably a lifelong process because it's been years now since that's been the case. Um, But I've also had other experiences that have not been favorable. And so I still am healing from those even amidst, you know, being in a very loving relationship at this point. So strength is being able to accept it for yourself and explore it. And it can also be really empowering to when you do open up about what happened to close friends or family members, them to, you know, to have that community to lean on for strength is helpful as well. If they are willing to also recognize what that what happened to you is wrong yeah yeah and I know that like you and I share in Christian faith and we you know I feel like part of that community you know is acknowledging that God is kind of always there and he's always ready to welcome you with open arms and really be there for you and you know I think for me I that was a big part of my you know just going through the case and a lot of times feeling really lonely because that community can be really small when you're just starting to tell people because you get the people who support you, but then you also get people who are judging you, who think you're a liar and who think that you're ultimately doing this just to ruin the life of this guy when it's actually vice versa, that he's kind of really done a number for you. And it's just so hypocritical because, you know, you say people think you're trying to ruin the life of this guy, but then he's impacted you so deeply that he's really took a bat to your life. Yeah. What's what's the reaction to that? Why why is it okay that we suffer in silence and we don't say anything, but this guy gets off the hook, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When you're again, like years later, I'm still grappling with what happened and seeing it come out in different ways in my life and in my relationships with people. Mm. So this experience and these experiences have not left me, but they get to go off and it's no big deal. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thought to think about for sure. And I think that for me during this legal process, there was a part of me that was even like scared. I used to have nightmares that this guy was outside my apartment window with like a gun, even though he never, like I've never seen 
a gun before, but just like really, really aggressive and violent things because those are the, that's what they enacted on you. They were violent. They were aggressive. They were doing things that you were not okay with, that you didn't consent to. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I mean, that's one of those things that you have to look out for is how is this coming up for you that, you know, in your example, you know, this guy never had a gun, but it's, it's violence. And so it's an association in your mind that this could happen. And when I think about this last week and the election and honestly, where I'm living, Georgetown started to board up all their shop windows. One of the thoughts I went to is, okay, what happens if violence does happen and then someone's outside my door Mm. my mind actually went straight to a guy's gonna break in and rape me like that is that is also an indication of your trauma Mm -hmm. and where your mind goes because not everyone's mind's gonna go there yeah and that's why I was so anxious in this time because I was like, shoot, if violence does happen and people are in these streets right outside my house and someone breaks in, I fear that someone's going to take advantage of me. Yeah. And for me, I actually went as far as to get a, what's called a SAPO. And so it's a sexual assault protection order. And I got this following the case because even after I won my case, I had a fear and it's kind of like the fear that everyone has now of what is Trump going to do now that he's lost and I kind of I've been relating it and I now like kind of like how you're relating feelings from this election to like your experience it's very similar to even when I won it almost felt like I wanted to celebrate but I couldn't celebrate too much just yet because what if he shows up what if he tries to do something to me what if he you know because he's lost because now it's official that he's lost this whole case that he has lost his degree that he has basically lost like the last four years that he's been working at and I was just like this guy has to be so angry at me that he's going to come and find me that I need to go to the legal system in Seattle and get myself a sexual assault protection order and even then I think like there was only one time where we happened to be in the same bar and my friend had to to go and approach him and say, you're not supposed to be within 500 feet of Liz, you need to leave or the cops will be called and you will be arrested. Mm-hmm. And so it's, there's definitely kind of like a safety element where you don't really ever feel safe. And there are so many situations in, you know, in the world today where it's just like, you don't feel safe already in the world. But then like a lot of those feelings can relate back to like, this is what's going to happen because of these past traumatic experiences. I think that, you know, for people, People that have experienced trauma, their fear responses are just heightened. Your hardwiring and your brain changes and you're way more alert as to potential very extreme things happening. They enter your mind and it's hard to get them to not. I mean, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, and just like finding strength and kind of really finding resiliency in your faith and, you know, what does that look like in terms of kind of trying to regain, you know, strength and humility and identity within yourself and kind of remembering who you are, especially in God's eyes. Right. Well, you know, like you said, the repercussions of that experience can leave you really lonely. And what 
really helped me in that time is actually that's when I first started going to church. Mm. And I all of a sudden, you know, heard the message that no matter how lonely you feel, you really are never alone. And I found so much comfort in that, that God is actually always by my side. And, you know, I may be alone in a room, but he's actually with me. I may feel alone, you know, with a bunch of people too. And he's right there beside me. And that gave me so much comfort as well as his protection over my life, you know, and this bad thing happened to me, but, you know, it doesn't mean that God is, untrustworthy or that he meant that to happen for me. It just happened. And what that means is that his arms are open for me to run into and to find love and comfort and protection. And so my faith did really help me, has always really helped me when I have, you know, felt like I've had a negative experience with a guy. And also, you know, as I've grown stronger in my faith, I've just come to realize that, like you said, through God's eyes, how worthy and valued I am by him, that a man should also, you know, understand how worthy and valued I am and respect me. And so through becoming closer to God, I've realized that it's not that I have my body to offer men. I've got so much more than that. And God's shown me that. He's shown me that, you know, I I don't have to feel like the only thing I can offer is something physical, but rather just so many other qualities that make me me that, you know, are so much more important than that physical aspect. And so it's also, you know, my faith has made me realize that I'm going to be really selective, you know, and I'm going to wait longer, long periods of time before I introduce that physical element into a relationship with someone. And the thing is, is that if a guy gets frustrated with that now, because my relationship is so good with God, I realize that that's not the guy for me, you know? Um, because the guy that's respectful and is willing to go slow in that area, you know, is, is truly valuing me as a person. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like so much of what you said too, is I can relate to that so much in the sense that like, it really helps. I feel like my relationship with God really helped me learn to respect myself again and kind of like raise those standards back up for myself because you are telling yourself like, no, you are worthy. You went through this really hard thing, but the outcome of it is that you're coming back stronger. You have more respect for yourself and you love yourself so much that you will never let a guy, you know, only value your physicality again. And it's being able yeah and it's being able to like you're right like you have so much more to offer there's so many more qualities about you that when god created you he gave this passion for psychology and he gave her these kind characteristics that like guys should value it's not what does she look like without her clothes on how quickly can i get her to bed how quickly can i get out the door after and never speak to her again those people are not ever going to value you no matter how hard you try to change them or make them they're only after one thing and that's not like when you see that those values don't align it's it's become such a simple and easy decision like you said it's just they're not 
they're not for me and we're not gonna we're not gonna give that a second thought and you're on to the next but not even that you're on to the next like person you're just okay I'm back to my life and I'm back to focusing on myself and my relationship with God and you know when when the right person comes along they'll come along but in the meantime like you're doing the inner work and you're working on yourself and just loving yourself and respecting yourself. And that's the thing too. I want to be able to, you know, talk to people too that may not have a relationship with God. And, you know, while my faith brought me to the realization of I need to be respected more than, than I had been, I think it also, like you said, comes with doing the inner work and understanding yourself and realizing what you should value about yourself. And then I think also it comes with age too, that you learn and you're no longer in these college environments of, you know, it's all about having sex with as many people as you can, but you age and you realize, no, that's not the case. Actually intimacy becomes so much better when it's with somebody that truly cares and values you. Yeah. I mean, you know, people are just having sex, you know, and it's so casual nowadays and that's like the most intimate thing you can do with another human being. Yeah. And so I think it's also just beginning to, if somehow, you know, younger and earlier, we can begin to talk to women about valuing themselves and, you know, giving them the message that no, it's not all about your physicality and having sex with a guy is not the only thing that you can offer them, but, you know, preserving actually that and just learning that intimacy really is it's a big deal and it's it's just not something that should just be thrown here and there it's 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 a huge deal it's the closest you'll get to another human being so why why do we throw it around like it's nothing it's actually the biggest deal yeah yeah and I feel like I feel like for those people that you know if you're afraid of what people will think of you think about how they're gonna see you once they're seeing oh this girl isn't just gonna freely give her body to me like the last five girls did and not to say that like you know it's gonna be good that they see you as different but just that like they see you as like this girl is serious yeah and she's got standards Mm -hmm. she you know she's not gonna be as quote-unquote easy as as the last girl you know Mm -hmm. she's actually she's at a place where she's really done the inner work and she's not just gonna give it to you unless you're worthy of it because she knows how worthy she is Mm -hmm. but if you if you can't meet her then she's not gonna share that part of you with her period which can be so intimidating for some guys because they're not there yet maturity wise but you know if you're actually wanting you know a relationship with value and with respect then that's filters out the guys that you shouldn't be with yeah and sadly that's quite a lot of quite a lot it really is male population But I just wanted to give you a chance and we can, I mean, we've been kind of saying it throughout the episode, but anything else you'd want to add or just, I feel like there's going to be a lot of women listening to this and particularly women that have not spoken up and have not said anything about their experience. And maybe it's still something that they're still processing and maybe it's been years since it happened, but there's maybe something in this episode sparked that might've been what happened to me. What would you, what would you like to say to them? Well, you know, I would, I just want, I do want people to know that I realize how hard it is to speak up about these things and that, you know, if you find yourself 
thinking, oh, well, my experience doesn't compare to this person's horrible, horrible experience. No, it's just not true. They're all horrible experiences and they all deserve to be validated. And if you felt like something was wrong about the situation that you were in, something was probably wrong. Trust yourself and just know that, you know, it wasn't right. And you have to get to a place where you can accept it. And I want you to know that I hear you and I'm here with you, that that can be a hard place to get to. I'm still years later grappling with it and trying to understand it better. And some days I do accept it, some days I don't. So I get that it's a complex process and that, you know, you're not going to come to terms with it overnight, but your experience does deserve to be validated if you felt that something was wrong about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Emma, for being on the show again and just being really open or as open as you can. It's been a really, I just feel like this episode was just really great. And I'm glad that you were able to kind of use your voice, you know, as much as you felt comfortable. And I hope that people listening really were able to connect with Emma. If you, if you want to learn more about her or she's got a blog, I will have her Instagram in the bio or in the show notes, as well as a link to her blog. She did do a write-up about her adoption experience. If you haven't seen that yet, make sure to go and check that out. But yeah, thank you so much again for being on the show. All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up another episode. I really do hope that you enjoyed it. Like I said, I'll have all of Emma's info in the show notes of the episode. But until then, make sure to give the podcast a follow on Instagram. It's just at Resiliency and Running. And then if you have any questions or comments, or if you connected with the episode in some way, I'd love to hear about it. I'm just at Liz Newcomer on Instagram and Twitter. But I hope to see you in the next episode. Bye.